Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, the 792nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands, and if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms, and of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So this clip that I'm going to start the show with from Morning Joe was from yesterday. I think it's different when you get in there and you're having, I, I could be wrong, but you know we I call wouldn't that, know, but having your fingerprint taken and your picture you, you taken. You know we call that, Mika. What? That's called whistling past the graveyard. He's not looking forward to any of it. He's horrified. He's just talking big. The walls are closing in as, uh, as has been said before. This time, my God, look at all of it. Ah, he said it. He said it. The walls are closing in. Donald Trump is so scared. Oh, it's going to be different when he gets his fingerprints and his mug shots. Oh, he's not going to be so cocky then. We're going to knock Donald Trump and his supporters down a peg with this totally illegitimate investigation and they might indict him and they might arrest him and oh it's gonna be so good for one episode of morning joe and then by that afternoon it'll have completely fallen apart and we will just go back to laughing at these communists once again so there was no indictment or arrest tuesday there was no indictment or arrest yesterday they called the grand jury off they're not meeting today, maybe next week. Hey, maybe next week. Last night, things kind of blew up in that whole New York District Attorney Alvin Bragg thing. Donald Trump posted on Truth Social, wow, 
Look at what was just found. A letter from Cohen's lawyer to the Federal Election Commission. This is totally exculpatory and must end the Manhattan District Attorney's witch hunt immediately. Cohen admits that he did it himself. The DA should get on with prosecuting violent criminals so people can walk down the sidewalks of New York without being murdered. And what's he talking about? Well, this letter has emerged from February 8th, 2018, sent from Michael Cohen's attorneys at McDermott, Will and Emery. And the letter reads as follows. Dear Mr. Jordan, I am writing on behalf of my client, Michael D. Cohen, in response to your letter dated January 30th, 2018. Specifically, this letter responds to the complaint numbered MUR 7313, which was filed with the Federal Election Commission by Common Cause and Paul S. Ryan. In a private transaction in 2016, before the U.S. presidential election, Mr. Cohen used his own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Ms. Stephanie Clifford. Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Ms. Clifford and neither reimbursed Mr. Cohen for the payment directly or indirectly. Contrary to the allegations in the complaint, which are entirely speculative, Neither Mr. Cohen nor Essential Consultants LLC made any in-kind contributions to Donald J. Trump for President Incorporated or any other presidential campaign committee. Mr. Cohen has not been a government employee during any of the relevant time period. The payment in question does not constitute a campaign contribution or expenditure, and therefore the FEC lacks jurisdiction over this matter. The complainants have not and cannot present any evidence to the contrary. Accordingly, the complaint should be dismissed. Signed Stephen M. Ryan, counsel for Michael Cohen. So not only was the affair not real, the payment was also not real. Didn't come from Donald Trump, just came from Cohen. And Cohen said that through his attorneys. This is from Kyle Becker on Substack. Manhattan DA accused of hiding hundreds of pages of exculpatory evidence from grand jury in Trump case. Whoops. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is being accused of hiding hundreds of pages of exculpatory evidence from the New York grand jury. Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett on Hannity on Tuesday night accused Bragg of the prosecutorial misconduct and furthermore called for the disbarment of the attorneys involved in the travesty of justice. I mentioned yesterday, I think, when Bob Costello got into that grand jury room and told them, wait a minute, you don't have the hundreds of pages I handed over to Alvin Bragg over here? You only have six cherry-picked documents? You know, hiding from grand juries exculpatory information is reprehensible and unconscionable, Jarrett said. And the conduct of Alvin Bragg and his henchman Mark Pomerantz, who specifically says in his book, we are targeting zombies because we don't like his beliefs. Those guys should face disbarment proceedings. Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz added his perspective on the charges being brought by the Manhattan DA. You know, in my new book, Get Trump, I go through all of those four allegations and I say there's plenty of smoke, but there's no fire, Dershowitz argued. And if there were a fire, it would be set by arsonists. There is no crime committed in any of the four allegations, and I prove that categorically in my book, Get Trump, he added. Where did I get the name? Get Trump? I got that from Letitia James's campaign slogan. Her campaign promise was, I promise you I will get Trump. And I want to add something new that hasn't been said before, he continued. I think that Bob Costello has changed this case dramatically. I think that Bragg note now only has two possible results from that. Number one, he can say, all right, I'm going to try to make the case without Cohen. He cannot use Cohen as a witness anymore. That would be unethical because of the testimony that Costello gave, he went on. Or he could say, look, I have to drop the case. He may not be able to make it without Cohen. But if he can't make it without Cohen, he can't make it because no ethical prosecutor is allowed to put on as a witness someone who has told the lies and has contradicted himself so much. So I think that Bob Costello is a game changer, he added. I think maybe that's a reason for the delay here. I think ethical experts are now telling Bragg, wait a minute, you cannot use Cohen. So if you can make it through Pecker, 
If you can make it through some of the other people, okay, go ahead. But if you can't make it without Cohen, you cannot bring this charge. That's a powerful statement, Sean Hannity remarked. On Tuesday, a former legal advisor to Michael Cohen, attorney Robert Costello, was called as a key witness in the New York grand jury investigation into former President Donald Trump's alleged payment to adult actress Stormy Daniels. Costello claimed that the testimony from the former Trump attorney is far from solid evidence. Costello told reporters following his testimony that Cohen is totally unreliable in the probe against Trump. He added that the disgraced lawyer is a convicted perjurer. I'm the one who decided to do this. A lot of people cautioned me against it because I have nothing to gain. The only thing I'm doing is trying to tell the truth to the grand jurors because I read all these lies in the media that are being promoted by one side, said Costello. If you see the full picture, if they want to go after Donald Trump and they have solid evidence, so be it. But Michael Cohen is far from solid evidence, added Costello. This guy, by any prosecutor's standard, and I used to be deputy chief of the criminal division in the Southern District of New York, I wouldn't have touched a guy like Michael Cohen, especially if he's a convicted perjurer. As noted by the Epoch Times, Cohen pleaded guilty in 2018 to charges of tax evasion, making false statements to a federally insured bank and campaign finance violations in connection with an alleged $130,000 payment to a lawyer representing adult actress Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford. Cohen claims that Trump, during his 2016 presidential campaign, directed him to arrange the payment to Daniels as hush money in order to buy her silence after she claimed to have had an affair with Trump. The report added the money was allegedly paid using campaign funds, a violation of campaign finance law. Donald Trump is expected to face a potential indictment from the grand jury on Wednesday. The former president will reportedly turn himself into authorities to face trial. So this was from yesterday, and obviously that last part did not happen. So seven years of Stormy Daniels, they've gotten absolutely nothing accomplished except for eroding trust in the news, making fools of themselves, and publicly lying about Donald Trump. That's all they've accomplished. And we talked yesterday about how MSNBC's Hayes Brown thought there was no evidence in the world that any of this would help Trump. Of course, there is evidence all over the world that it's already helping Trump. This is from Monday in the Washington Examiner. Paul Bedard, Trump surges to biggest 2024 lead yet two times over DeSantis. Likely driven by MAGA support for him as he faces the threat of a hush money indictment, former President Donald Trump has jumped out to his biggest 2024 GOP primary lead in a widely followed survey. And this is a morning consult survey. It's not Rasmussen. It's not coming from the right. It's not Richard Barris. It's not Trafalgar. It's morning consult. And just to clear things up for Paul Bedard, it's not driven by MAGA support. They don't know people are MAGA before they call them up. MAGA's not loving Trump more because of this. MAGA is already fully on board with Trump. The MAGA numbers don't change. These are establishment Republicans, independents, and Democrats realizing, hey, maybe we got a few things wrong. In the latest morning consult survey, Trump leads Governor Ron DeSantis 54 to 26, a 28 point advantage. According to the analysis, quote, as Trump awaits potential indictment on charges related to a 2016 hush money scheme with adult film star Stormy Daniels, he has posted one of his largest polling leads in the 2024 Republican primary. The latest survey shows 54 percent of potential primary voters support the former president, compared with 26 percent who are backing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, tying his expected opponent's lowest level of support since tracking began in December. And isn't that incredible? They began the DeSantis simp op. Trump knew it was coming, sparked things off before they were ready to get going. He has completely exposed that operation. He has harmed DeSantis greatly. And again, maybe it's all optics, all for show. Maybe he brings Ron DeSantis back into the fold. Maybe Ron DeSantis redeems himself. But as it stands right now, Ron DeSantis has not only lost any opportunity that he had of becoming the GOP nominee in 2024, he's probably killed the rest of his political career by doing all of this. I mentioned on Twitter today that Ron DeSantis 
may have underperformed Kamala Harris in terms of primary performance. He has lost before even announcing that he's a candidate. The establishment rhinos around him trying to recruit him into the race have completely destroyed him as a candidate and maybe as a politician forever. I'm not certain that last part is true. We'll have to see. But as it stands right now, he has destroyed himself with his own potential base. He is literally trying to be the establishment copy of Donald Trump. He's even adopted Trump's hand signals, thinking that that would just trick everybody. Didn't work. Trump light has failed. And the truth is, if the television had never come out in full support of Ron DeSantis and tried to make him the Trump replacement, no one would even be paying attention to the guy. And Trump points this out in a series of truth social posts that I'll get to in just a second. But there's one other point of note in this article. The survey also showed other GOP presidential candidates have no traction so far, and it singled out former Vice President Mike Pence's slip. The survey analysis said former Vice President Mike Pence's favorability rating among potential primary voters declined from 60 percent to 55 percent during a week that featured news coverage of his condemnation of Trump's behavior surrounding the January 6th Capitol attack. Over the same time period, the share who said they'd recently heard something negative about Pence, who is polling at 7% in the nominating race, increased from 15% to 24%. But let's get back to the very, very bad week and very bad pre-campaign that Ron DeSantis is having. He did an interview with Piers Morgan a couple of days ago, where he said that Donald Trump should have just conceded and related that somehow to George Washington, imagining that George Washington would have looked at a stolen election and just been like, well, you know, we did fight that whole Revolutionary War thing and we gained our independence from the British monarchy. But we have to respect elections, even if they're stolen with the help of foreign adversaries. Really nailed that one, Ron. Insulted the country, insulted Donald Trump, and insulted the founders all in one fell swoop. Who gave you that one, Carl Rove or Paul Ryan? DeSantis also went on with this cringeworthy moment, showing that he is absolutely not ready for prime time and absolutely not the person the television has made him out to be. Is your favorite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron, Ron de Sanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't. I think uh, even he went off Meatball Ron. I, but. I can't. Uh, I don't know how to spell de Sanctimonious. I don't really know what it means, but I, you know, I kind of like it's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can call me, you can call me whatever you want. I mean, just as long as you, you know, also call me a winner. Two terrible jokes. Piers Morgan fake laughing as if he's just heard the funniest thing ever. Oh, DeSanctimonious has a lot of vowels. <laughs> and then Ron says, you can call me whatever you want as long as you call me a winner. Well, no one's going to do that, Ron. You're already plummeting before you have even announced your candidacy. That's how bad it's going. Trump invited you into the quicksand and you went into the quicksand. And now you're holding out like... I'm number one finger way above your head, and that's the only thing people can see above the quicksand. So congratulations. Nobody's calling you a winner, but you can try. He also unleashed this gem. This is from the Daily Mail yesterday. DeSantis's Ukraine U-turn. Florida governor now says his territorial dispute comments were mischaracterized, calls Putin a war criminal and said Russia is basically a gas station with nuclear weapons. And as you just witnessed in that last clip, Ron DeSantis isn't very clever, isn't very funny, and isn't very original. In fact, the statement about a gas station with nuclear weapons isn't Ron DeSantis's. You know who used to say that? The traitor John McCain. And because the loser fake Republican in Ohio, John Kasich, has been popping off on Twitter lately, I took it upon myself to ask him in his replies can you please explain what you meant when you said John McCain was put to death? Here's the clip. You can hear for yourself. It's, it's like 24 hours since John McCain was put to death. And look at this, this circus of a hearing. Strange, isn't it? Kasich said that on CNN a few years ago. Maybe he's just confused. I thought 
John McCain just died peacefully after a long battle with brain cancer. Is Kasich suggesting that the brain cancer put John McCain to death? Was this just some sort of flub or misstatement? I wish John Kasich would tell us what he meant when he said that John McCain has been put to death. I know people who have died. I would never, even by mistake, claim that they have been put to death. It's just weird. That's all I'm saying. But back to Ron, exclamation point, just like Jeb. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sought to clean up comments where he called Russia's brutal war on Ukraine a territorial dispute after drawing rebukes against isolationism, but praise from Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Well, I think it's been mischaracterized. Obviously, Russia invaded. That was wrong. They invaded Crimea and took that in 2014. That was wrong, DeSantis told Piers Morgan in an interview more than a week after his initial comments. He also rolled out tough talk against Russian President Vladimir Putin, calling him a war criminal and saying he should be held accountable while dissing Russia as, quote, basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons during a week when Putin huddled with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Moscow. He then stated some of the territorial facts on the ground as Russia and mercenary forces continue their relentless siege of the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. There are no Ukrainian forces. You got to love when they present this this way. Russia and mercenary forces. All Ukraine has had the whole time is foreign mercenaries and Ukrainian Nazis. They are taking citizens and forcing them into their army where they are absolutely annihilated as soon as they hit the battlefield. That's the Ukrainian army. Imagine how different things would be if we had a mainstream media that actually told us the truth about any of this. What I'm referring to is where the fighting is going on now, which is that eastern border region, Donbass, and then Crimea. And you have a situation where Russia has had that. I don't think legitimately, but they had, he said. Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, prompting a raft of sanctions from the U.S. and allies. So Ron DeSantis has no idea what he's talking about there. And that should be really obvious. He's just using buzzwords that people will know. Ooh, Donbass. Ooh, Crimea. I've heard about both of those things. Turns out he's completely wrong. Also turns out that those regions are just Russia. And you know that because Vladimir Putin was on the ground in Mariupol the other day, just talking with citizens and having a nice old time because it's just Russia now. It's not Ukraine. The comments came in the same interview where he called out drama in the Trump White House and made porn star comments that infuriated Trump, who on Wednesday promoted a DailyMail.com story where his former strategist Steve Bannon blasted DeSantis for taking a weasel approach. Then he repeated one of Moscow's stated war aims, the protection of ethnic Russians living inside Ukraine. There's a lot of ethnic Russians there. So that's some difficult fighting. And that's what I was referring to. And so it wasn't that I thought Russia had a right to do that. And so if I should have made that more clear, I could have done it. But I think the larger point is, okay, Russia is not showing the ability to take over Ukraine, to topple the government, or certainly to threaten NATO, he said. That's a good thing. I just don't think that's a sufficient interest for us to escalate more involvement. I would not want to see American troops involved there. But the idea that I think somehow Russia was justified, that's nonsense, he added. He also spoke in support of Ukraine's territorial integrity while calling sending more weapons a mistake on a week when the Pentagon announced an additional $350 million in military aid for Ukraine and said it would take steps to expedite shipments of M1A1 tanks this fall. And of course, it's the Daily Mail. So the article goes on for honestly days where they just repeat the central narrative over and over and over again and show you more celebrities in bikinis on the right side. Now, as I've said before, this whole Trump versus DeSantis thing could all be for optics. It could be a show to draw all of these con ink, GOP elite and establishment, DeSantis simps, etc., out of the woodwork. And if it is, it's worked really, really well. Now, again, I'm not convinced Ron is ever going to get in the race. I'm not convinced that the Florida legislature is going to change Florida law that allows him to run in the first place, at least without resigning his office. 
But if what we're seeing should be taken at face value, if all of this is real, then Ron has actually destroyed himself and Donald Trump is now going after him hard. Yesterday, he wrote a series of four truth posts. He published it as a long statement and also released it on Truth Social. He says, now that Ron DeSanctimonious is finally admitting he's in the race by beginning to fight back, and now that his polls have crashed, so he has no other choice, let me explain the facts. He is, for a Republican, an average governor. He got 1.2 million less votes in Florida than me. He fought for massive cuts in Social Security and Medicare and wanted Social Security minimum age to be raised to 70 years old or more. He is a disciple of Paul Ryan and did whatever Ryan told him to do. Florida has been successful for many years, long before I put Ron there. It's amazing what ocean and sunshine will do. Surprise, Ron was a big lockdown governor on the China virus, sealing all beaches and everything else for an extended period of time, was third worst in the nation for COVID-19 deaths, losing 86,294 people, third worst for total number of cases at 7,516,906. Other Republican governors did much better than Ron and, because I allowed them this freedom, never closed their states, remember, I left that decision up to the governors. For COVID death rates per state, Ron, as governor of Florida, did worse than New York. In education, Florida ranks among the worst in the country. And on crime statistics, Florida ranked third worst in murder, third worst in rape, and third worst in aggravated assault. For 2022, Jacksonville was ranked as one of the top 25 major crime cities in the country, with Tampa and Orlando not doing much better. On education, Florida ranks number 39 in health and safety in the country, number 50 in affordability, and number 30 in education and childcare. Hardly greatness there. The fact is, Ron is an average governor, but the best by far in the country in one category, public relations, where he easily ranks number one. But it is all a mirage. Just look at the facts and figures. They don't lie. And we don't want Ron as our president. And naturally, he's just stating facts. You could have opinions or arguments about the relevance of those facts and how it changes or reinforces your view of Ron DeSantis. People should come down on that wherever they like. But the idea that Ron DeSantis is some COVID savior is completely and totally false. He does have Joseph Ladapo there as the Surgeon General of Florida, and he seems to be doing an excellent job. But what else was Ron DeSantis going to do as the COVID lies begin falling apart? He's got to have someone in there to make the other case and then take credit for putting that guy in his position. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or that he deserves no credit. It just doesn't make up for the fact that he wasn't particularly good when it comes to COVID. He was an average Republican governor. Christy Noem did not lock down South Dakota at all. Donald Trump gave her the freedom to make that choice, and she made it. Donald Trump gave Ron DeSantis the freedom to make that choice, and he did not make it. DeSantis sided with the COVID experts many times. And the argument that Ron DeSantis has cleaned up election fraud in Florida, and that's what allowed him to win in 2022 by a wide margin, that is completely and totally false. He stood up a state task force to deal with election fraud. They haven't fixed anything and election fraud shouldn't be left to the governor in power to form a state task force. What happens when a Democrat is governor and fills that state task force with people who like election fraud and benefit from election fraud as much as Ron DeSantis does? Ron DeSantis got his win over a gay meth head barely in 2018. And then when the opportunity presented itself to make Ron DeSantis the Trump light, the Trump alternative that they should sell hard to the public, well, then he won by a wide margin. And you know what? The establishment governors won by a large margin in Georgia and Texas, too. And they didn't fix their elections at all either. 
The argument that Ron DeSantis is a winner and capable of winning is complete and total nonsense. And it's made by people who deny election fraud and then assert that it is somehow a good thing that the regime will allow Ron DeSantis to win. Oh, they don't hate him as much as Trump. They're not going to bring out all the guns to defeat DeSantis the way they did with Donald Trump. Well, yeah, of course, that's how they can try to get this whole thing back under control. Tell everybody, look, a Republican won president. Now that means election fraud doesn't exist. And everyone goes right back to sleep as regime Ron allows the agenda to move forward with everyone thinking, oh, hey, we don't have to pay attention to politics anymore. We don't have to get involved in this American life anymore. Ron's got it all under control. Isn't it funny how all of the people who pretend that Trump supporters are in some kind of cult and worship Donald Trump actually believe that Ron DeSantis is going to save the country? He's our best chance. We have to get Ron elected in rigged elections, but they're not rigged. You see, they're not rigged. These people have covered up election fraud for two and a half years, and they want power. Not only do they want power, they want Trump supporters to praise and thank them in their attempts to steal power by denigrating Donald Trump and his supporters. Hey. No thanks, Republican establishment. You're why we're in this situation. Ron DeSantis would not beat Donald Trump in a legitimate election in a million years. If Donald Trump died, Ron DeSantis would still not win the GOP primary because Carrie Lake would step in there and run. And she would beat Ron DeSantis too. Luckily, Ron won't have to worry about that because Carrie Lake is the duly elected and legitimate governor of Arizona. And we're getting closer to the public understanding that's true. This is from Just the News last night. Carrie Lake scores win as Arizona Supreme Court sends part of her lawsuit back to trial court. The Arizona Supreme Court ruled Wednesday to send a piece of former GOP gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake's election lawsuit back to trial court to examine whether or not Maricopa County followed signature verification policies in 2022. The Arizona Supreme Court declined to review the rest of the appeal. And it's worth noting that this could be some sort of delay strategy where they just keep bouncing this case back and forth between the Arizona Supreme Court and this trial court. If they had chosen not to hear this case at all, Carrie Lake would have kept moving this thing, I still believe, is going to ultimately end up at the United States Supreme Court. Since losing to current Arizona Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs, Lake has contested the results of the 2022 election in court, arguing that thousands of Republican voters were disenfranchised on Election Day when voting machine errors occurred in at least 60 percent of the voting centers in Maricopa County. And by the way, it's actually hundreds of thousands of votes. Lake vowed to appeal to the state's top court after losing at the appellate level. If the Arizona Supreme Court refuses to take this case and lets that lower court judge's opinion stand, they are basically putting their stamp of approval on the most corrupt election we've ever seen in this country. Lake told Just the News, No Noise TV show Monday, and that's the show with John Solomon and my pal Amanda Head. And because I like to be thorough and because I like to present you with actual source documentation, let's take a look at the Arizona Supreme Court's order filed yesterday. On December 24th, 2022, the trial court issued its under advisement ruling rejecting Petitioner Lake's challenge and, quote, confirming the election of Katie Hobbs as Arizona governor-elect pursuant to Arizona revised statute section 16 676B. The Court of Appeals affirmed in an opinion issued February 16th, 2023. Petitioner Lake filed her petition for review and request for expedited consideration on March 1st, 2023. The court on banc graded petitioner's motion for expedited consideration of her petition for review on March 3rd, 2023. 
The court has considered Petitioner Lake's petition for review and responses filed by Governor Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State Adrian Fontes, and the Maricopa County defendants. The court has also considered the record, the trial court ruling, and the Court of Appeals opinion affirming the trial court. The court has also considered briefing of Amici Curie in support of the petitioner. It is ordered denying review of issues one through five and seven. The Court of Appeals aptly resolved these issues, most of which were the subject of evidentiary proceedings in the trial court, and petitioner's challenges on these grounds are insufficient to warrant the requested relief under Arizona or federal law. And this is why I want to temper expectations a little bit, because all of the claims that she's making are valid. All of them show that the Arizona elections are not held according to the law. That's what matters. That's what makes them uncertifiable. But it is good, at least, that they're going to check back on one issue because it is a critical issue. It is further ordered granting review of issue number six to the extent count three of the complaint challenges the Maricopa County Recorder's application of signature verification policies during the election. Issue number six asks, did the panel err in dismissing the signature verification claim on latches, mischaracterizing Lake's claim as a challenge to the existing signature verification policies when Lake, in fact, alleged that Maricopa failed to follow these policies during the 2022 general election? In count three of her complaint, which alleged a violation of Arizona revised statute, petitioner alleged in paragraph 151, Upon information and belief, a material number of early ballots cast in the November 8th, 2022 general election were transmitted in envelopes containing an affidavit signature that the Maricopa County recorder or his designee determined did not match the signature in the putative voters registration record. The Maricopa County recorder nevertheless accepted a material number of these early ballots for processing and tabulation. Contrary to the ruling of the trial court and the court of appeals opinion, this signature verification challenge is to the application of the policies, not to the policies themselves. Therefore, it was erroneous to dismiss this claim under the doctrine of latches because Lake could not have brought this challenge before the election. Because of that, they vacate part of the court of appeals opinion and say, it is further ordered remanding to the trial court to determine whether the claim that Maricopa County failed to comply with Arizona revised statute section 16550A fails to state a claim for reasons other than latches or whether petitioner can prove her claim as alleged and establish that, quote, votes were affected in sufficient numbers to alter the outcome of the election based on a, quote, competent mathematical basis to conclude that the outcome would plausibly have been different, not simply an untethered assertion of uncertainty. So you got that? They are saying that this is the claim that Lake can prove a substantial number of ballots who were accepted outside the process of the law, according to Arizona statute, in numbers great enough to have changed the results of the election. It is further ordered petitioner may file a response and respondents may file a reply to respondents motions for sanctions in accordance with the ARCAP rule 6A2. The parties shall address as a basis for sanctions only petitioner's factual claims in her petition for review, i.e. that the court of appeals should have considered, quote, the undisputed fact that 35,563 unaccounted for ballots were added to the total of ballots at a third party processing facility, end quote, and not legal arguments, IA, pertaining to the burden of proof or purported conflict in the lower courts. The record does not reflect that 35,563 unaccounted ballots were added to the total count. The motions for sanctions will be considered in due course. And so that's addressing the fact that they are still coming after Kerry Lake's lawyers for bringing this case in the first place. They want to sanction those lawyers. Here is Kerry Lake advisor Caroline Wren this morning on War Room. 
I would say it's the best result from any court on election day, like election integrity uh, that that we've seen. So but that is a little bit like being the tallest midget at this point, um, because we've seen the courts reject these cases since 2020 and now 2022. But but we are excited about the thing that they did decide to hear. I mean, it is big and the fake news is always going to try and downplay anything in relation to Carrie Lake. But you cannot downplay Carrie Lake and her team getting the chance to look at these ballots and check the signatures. I mean, signature verification, we always said this, was the smoking gun in our case. And every judge, though, took the defendant's argument hook, line, and sinker to avoid having to actually peel back the curtain on signature verification. And we were astonished when the trial court refused to consider it. And and clearly the Supreme Court disagreed. And so that is a big deal. And we had three whistleblowers who were intimately involved in the signature verification department in Maricopa County. And these folks said that they were rejecting tens of thousands of signatures up to the tune of, I think, 130,000 ballots and that someone was sending them through anyway. And it said one of the higher ups there and the lower courts refused to hear this. And so now the Supreme Court is saying, no, 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 we, you do need to hear it. And that is very, very big. There's still some process things that need to come out that we need to see what they're going to allow us in discovery and things like that. But but we are very excited that we are going to be able to once again put people on notice and expose the fraud that happened in Arizona. So bottom line, this is very good. It's nice progress. We'll see what happens. It could be a delay tactic. These things tend to stretch on forever. We also have the Moore versus Harper decision in the Supreme Court to look forward to. But all it takes is one. All it takes is one of these decisions. If Carrie Lake figures out how to get through this, if the courts actually do what they are supposed to do and uphold their oath to the United States Constitution, that will be game over. There is national attention on Carrie Lake. The public at large, and particularly the public in Arizona, knows that Carrie Lake had her election stolen from her. All it takes is one case with national attention flipping on these people, and they will have no choice but to accept the fact that our elections are stolen. Now, the national attention is the critical part because there have been more than enough decisions over the past couple of years to show that our elections are stolen and that the courts understand that elections are being held outside the bounds of the Constitution. In Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, they had a decision about mail-in ballots in New York, and there are plenty of cases still working their way through. All of this is all about the public understanding that our elections are stolen. The moment of the awakening to that fact, when we hit critical mass on that, that's the end. Because at that point, the electoral politics go out the window and everyone who has helped cover up election fraud in this country for the last two and a half years is immediately exposed as an anti-American supporter of the regime. There's just no way around it. Okay, it's been two and a half years. If people don't understand that the elections are stolen by now, it's because they didn't check and they didn't check because they hate Donald Trump. They hate MAGA and they're more than happy to accept the downfall of our country or they're just apathetic and turned off by the whole political thing and they don't know what's going on. And that's not necessarily any more forgivable, but those people at least will just accept the new story once it hits that critical mass. Now, that Daily Mail article earlier about Ron exclamation point mentioned the Putin and Xi meeting this week. This is a write up from yesterday in Zero Hedge. China gives us advice on Ukraine after Xi, Putin, pledged to shape new world order. And I don't know if I would have used that exact wording because it is not new world order as the phrase implies. It just means new world order. It's a multipolar world order, which is to say there's not a world order. It's just the world ordering itself. China's President Xi Jinping has arrived back in Beijing after his two day visit with President Vladimir Putin over the China proposed Ukraine peace plan. On the Ukraine crisis, there was nothing that can be considered a breakthrough, but the talks did prompt swift reaction from Washington. More important are the broader implications of the two dear friends pledging to shape a new world order and signing multiple pacts on economic, technological and strategic cooperation. These were the words captured in a Reuters headline Wednesday. 
China's President Xi Jinping and Russia's President Vladimir Putin set their sights on shaping a new world order as the Chinese leader left Moscow, having made no direct support for Putin's war in Ukraine during his two-day visit. Now, it's funny that Reuters would recast all of this this way as Xi and Putin's new world order so that we can just take that common phrase. And now, instead of applying it to the global regime who actually created the concept of new world order and has tried to push the new world order upon the world for decades, if not centuries, we're just going to apply it to Xi and Putin instead. Oh, you see that thing that everybody was worried about? Turns out it was Russia and China doing it the whole time. And it wasn't George Herbert Walker Bush and Henry Kissinger and, you know, the British crown and descendants of the Prussian Empire all around the world. It was Putin and she. They had a conversation that was caught by news cameras or as the media is inaccurately calling it a hot mic. Change is coming. That hasn't happened in a 100 years. And we are driving this change together, says she. Putin responds, I agree. Putin had told Xi that the peace plan correlates to the point of view of the Russian Federation. But the message out of Biden officials was don't be fooled. It's all about Moscow seeking to freeze the war on its own terms, in the words of Secretary of State Blinken. Also on Tuesday, NSC spokesman John Kirby said China is not an impartial mediator and that China keeps parroting Russian propaganda. And John Kirby is a complete fool. It is absolutely worth listening to him on this situation. Here's the clip. Seems like this, uh, these two superpowers are teaming up now against the U.S. Why did President Biden let this happen? Peter, these are two countries that have long chafed, as I said to Jeff, long chafed um, at U.S. leadership around the world um, and uh, and the network of alliances and partnerships that we have. This is not, this is not something that uh, these two countries just cooked up since President Biden got elected. But, but it is he, something that they have been since he's been to, president. He has talked tough. He tried to pressure Putin and Xi uh, to act right or risk their standing on the world stage. Does he see now that they don't care? I think if you ask a lot of Russians, they certainly care. I mean, this, their economy is, is uh, barely being propped up by some pretty radical measures by, by Mr. Putin. Their military has uh, been uh, roundly embarrassed inside Ukraine, um, and they continue to lose uh, uh, ground there. Um, and as for China, again, take a look at the way the president has really revitalized and restored alliances and partnerships that were let go, if not ridiculed, in the previous administration. We have prioritized them, and there's no other nation around the world that has this alliance and partnership network that we do. Five of our seven treaty alliances are in the Indo-Pacific, and President Biden has prioritized each and every one of them. Very, very bold, John Kirby. Hey, Putin and Xi don't care about your silly little liberal world order, and they're not doing what Joe Biden tells them to do. And what is his response? Well, there's a, a, a lot of Russians who care. We can, find, we can find Russians who care. Well, congratulations, John Kirby. What an accomplishment it must be to know that your few allies in Russia agree with you. What an astounding accomplishment. It is also interesting that he has noted this Russian-Chinese alliance goes back some years. It's almost like they plan some of these things ahead and aren't just responding to Joe Biden's build back better agenda and how he unified the NATO alliance. On Wednesday, the Chinese foreign ministry hit back, charging that Washington is adding fuel to the fire of the conflict by its continuous supply of weapons to the battlefield. Spokesman Wang Wenbin was asked directly about Kirby and Blinken's comments from the day prior. The U.S. side claims that China's stance isn't impartial, but is it impartial to continuously supply weapons to the battlefield? Is it impartial to constantly escalate the conflict? Is it impartial to allow the effects of the crisis to spill over globally? Wang said.
We advise the American side to rethink its own stance on the Ukraine issue, turn away from the erroneous path of adding fuel to the fire and stop shifting the blame to China, he added. The spokesman further insisted Beijing, quote, has no selfish motives on the Ukraine issue, has not stood idly by or sought profit for itself, but that what China has done boils down to one thing, that is to promote peace talks. And it's strange, isn't it, for the Chinese to be the ones who are factually correct about all this? Joe Biden gave Five Eyes Intelligence about the Ukraine situation to the CCP. She then got that, sent it over to Vladimir Putin as this whole thing was starting. That's how poorly this entire effort is going for the fake president and the regime. It's been absolutely doomed from the start. And this week, by the way, not that this is extremely important or anything, just shows the level of propaganda we're dealing with here. But this is a fun little tangent. Post-millennial yesterday, stolen valor, top Ukraine volunteer soldier revealed to be fraud, heavily promoted by Adam Kinzinger and Malcolm Nance. In 2022, Newsweek ran a glowing story about an American man who claimed to be a volunteer fighting with the Ukrainian army. Vasquez claimed in March 2022 that he'd, quote, taken out seven Russian tanks. Former Illinois representative Adam Kinzinger advocated for Vasquez, urging Twitter to verify his account and posed in pictures with him. Only the story of Vasquez joining the Ukrainian army turned out to be fake. Kinzinger's favorite Ukraine hero just deleted his account after it came out. He is a fraud, Jack Posobiec said. Malcolm Nance, also a supporter of Vasquez, responded to the allegations against Vasquez as revealed by a current member of the Ukrainian armed forces, saying that he and others had advised Vasquez to get off Twitter, get his life in order and come back to support Ukraine in a legal construct. He took that advice. James was not fake, Nance continued. He was troubled. He did a lot for Ukraine, but has challenges to face. Respect what he did do. Kinzinger said a year ago regarding Vasquez, he's legit and too many folks are trying to create fake accounts with him. I have a bill in Congress to deal with this since this was happening to me for so long. <laughs> he wanted to pass a bill to censor people for saying bad things about a fake Ukrainian volunteer. They went all in with that and absolutely face planted as they always do. Adam Kinzinger still has his Twitter name with hashtag fella at the end of it. That means he is claiming allegiance with this Internet movement called NAFO, N-A-F-O, North Atlantic Fellas Organization. It's all of those little memes with a little dog. I think it's a Shiba Inu that are all insanely pro-Ukrainian. It is 100% an organized information op on Twitter. And Adam Kinzinger claims an affiliation with it. But back to Zero Hedge. The Chinese spokesman went on to assert that contrary to popular assumptions in the West, the global community stands by China on the side of diplomatically pursuing peace. And again, that's true. It's only the regime supporting this because it's only the regime with stakes in Ukraine. On the Ukraine issue, voices for peace and rationality are building. Most countries support easing tensions, stand for peace talks, and are against adding fuel to the fire. This is also China's position. President Xi Jinping's visit to Russia is a journey of friendship, cooperation, and peace. It has been warmly received internationally. We call on the U.S. to reflect on its own role in the Ukraine issue, stop fueling the flames, and stop deflecting the blame on China. Wang spelled out that, quote, we will continue to stand firm on the side of peace and dialogue and on the right side of history and work together with the rest of the world to play a constructive part in facilitating a political settlement of the Ukraine issue. To the surprise of many, Ukraine's President Zelensky on Tuesday invited China to start talks on a path forward based on offering a, quote, Ukraine formula for peace negotiations. It's unclear what Beijing's response will be, but it was widely seen as an unexpected and positive overture. It has also become clear that whatever peace talks might come to fruition involving China mediation, the U.S. is not going to lead, but will likely be sidelined despite the closeness to Kiev. What would it mean for comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky to make a deal with China? 
Now, obviously, we don't know that that's how this is going to turn out, but that would be quite remarkable. It would kind of make you think a little while about what exactly it is Volodymyr Zelensky is doing over there. All he's done throughout this entire time is basically beg for more money and more weapons to be sent to Ukraine, which has gotten kind of embarrassing for him at this point and extraordinarily embarrassing for American officials who still want to send money and weapons and mercenaries over to support those Ukrainian Nazis with absolutely no chance of winning. And speaking of how much Joe Biden has united the NATO allies, this is from Foreign Policy magazine, foreignpolicy.com today. Scoop, Turkey and Hungary not invited to Biden's big democracy summit. Summit snubs for two troublesome U.S. allies. The Biden administration is inviting around 120 countries to join its Summit for Democracy next week, but two of its NATO allies aren't getting a call. Turkey and Hungary have been left off the invitation list for the major summit, which Team Biden bills as one of its hallmark foreign policy initiatives meant to shore up democracies worldwide and staunch the rise of autocracies. And you get it. If you're not in the regime, you're not a democracy. You're an autocracy. Even if you're a NATO ally, Hungary has Viktor Orban as president, who is resoundingly popular in Hungary and a strong sovereign nationalist. But he's not part of the regime. Therefore, he's an autocrat. The spurning of two NATO allies confirmed by three U.S. officials who spoke to SITREP reflects a mounting concern with a degree of democratic backsliding in Turkey and Hungary, even though Washington is relying on both to support the West's strategy against Russia as the war in Ukraine rages on and needs to approve Finland and Sweden's bids to join NATO as full-fledged allies. How are you going to get it like that, Joe? Turkish President Erdogan has consolidated power and dismantled elements of the country's democracy but he faces the toughest challenge yet to his 20-year rule with upcoming elections in May. And I can't wait to begin hearing about how the U.S. State Department and our intelligence agencies and NGOs are going to be over in Turkey, making sure that democracy works for everyone. Hungary, under Prime Minister Viktor Orban, has alienated itself with the European Union and NATO, for its own democratic backsliding and Orban's close ties with Russia, even in the aftermath of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Orban's government, for its part, has constantly rebuffed criticism from Washington and its EU neighbors over accusations of backsliding, even as it blocks a steady stream of EU-wide initiatives on aid for Ukraine and sanctions on Russia. Oh no! They're not doing what the EU tells them to do, and they're not making NATO happy. How could they? I can't believe they're satisfied with this backsliding. The snub is likely to inflame tensions between Washington and the two NATO allies even further, as well as widen the distance between the rest of NATO and EU alliance with the two outliers. The upcoming Summit for Democracy scheduled from March 28th to March 30th involves a hodgepodge of in-person and virtual events in Washington and four partner countries, Costa Rica, South Korea, the Netherlands and Zambia, with U.S. President Joe Biden and around 20 of his most senior administration officials participating. Outside experts hope the summit can revive some momentum in the global network of democratic governments after years of global democratic backsliding. <laughs> they just use those words over and over and over again. Global democratic backsliding, backsliding, democratic, global autocracy, backsliding into autocracy away from their democratic allies around the globe. There is a fundamental split right now between leaders taking their countries into a more repressive, closed and authoritarian direction versus those that are going in a more open and inclusive direction. Thomas Periello, executive director of the Open Society Foundation's U.S. office and a former Democratic congressman, told SITREP and the other side, frankly, has a lot of money and power to throw around. He said the summit, if pulled off right can help serve as a counterweight 
to the rise of autocracies, as well as help mature and emerging democracies compare notes. So that's the view from the Open Societies Foundation. And what is the Open Society Foundation? That's George Soros. And to be honest, that sounds kind of panicky. The rise of autocracies, a lot of money and power to throw around on the other side. Whoops. How's your regime going, George Soros? Oh, not so well. And speaking of panic, let's wrap up with good old Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, former CIA director, and former chief of staff for Bill Clinton's White House. He's also one of the 51 former intelligence officials who signed the letter claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop has all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation operation, except for the fact that all of them knew it was true at the time. Here's what he has to say about Donald Trump. I believe that his whole first America first approach uh, to foreign policy, his uh, his desire to, to, to essentially withdraw from the world in terms of a leadership position for the United States, would be devastating to our foreign policy at this point in time in the 21st century. Uh, look, in the end, uh, I really, I really believe that he's a loser, uh, and that even if he gets the nomination, he will lose. But the mere fact that he would be nominated by the Republican Party uh, would be a scary step uh, in the 21st century. If you don't think that the regime is falling apart and you don't think that sounds panicked, I don't know what to tell you. The people in charge of the regime's efforts and communicating those efforts to the public are telling you in their own words and actions that they are losing and losing big. And it's not some strange coincidence or some mark of how Donald Trump is a loser that he is literally standing in his strongest position in the nearly eight years since he came down the elevator. It's because Donald Trump is smarter than these people, stronger than these people, and knows what he's doing. He's showing once again that the regime can't take him down and the Republican establishment doesn't have a chance. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!